0: The title of the message this morning is The Surrendered Life. Please say that with me, The Surrendered Life. You can turn so long to Matthew 26, we'll get there in a couple of minutes time, but keep your finger there, so long. The Surrendered Life. Now, a bit of an introduction to perhaps how I ended up speaking about this, it's a thought that stirred in my heart some time back. And a while back, I was talking to one of our pastors, one of the pastors here at the church. And we were talking about a certain person in the church. And we were talking about this gentleman and how he was doing uh, spiritually in his relationship with the Lord. And then the pastor made an interesting comment about this person. And he said that uh, he is not yet living a surrendered life. That was the comment pastor knew him well and was making that comment out of a point of view of us wanting to help and be instrumental to further growth and surrendering. But I just found that most interesting. He's not yet living a surrendered life. I also thought to myself that, well, that's quite interesting because all of our people here at Choose Life are exposed to the same preaching The same teaching, the same environment. What would cause one member to be more surrendered than another? Isn't that an interesting thought? I'm sure you'd agree. But I believe that in part, it does have to do with inner decisions. And some people have made certain inner decisions in response to what they've seen in the Word of God And that translates into a greater surrender in the way they live their lives. Uh, A Christian can be washed by the blood of Jesus on their way to heaven and yet living a half-baked life for Jesus. Whereas, on the other hand, you can find a person, a Christian, and you yourself can be sold out to God. When we talk those words, sold out, I like that. You can be sold out to God. You can be fully devoted to the King of Kings. What's your choice in the matter? I believe that for all of us, we want to choose being sold out. We want to choose a life of surrender. Romans 6 verse 13, we'll get to the Matthew one just now. Romans six thirteen is on the screen. It says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of righteousness, of sorry, of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God. Now, doesn't that sound like surrender? Offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself Have you ever seen that little phrase in Scripture before? Offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. Sometimes I believe that we want to keep certain parts back. Okay, God, you can have this area, this area, this area, and this area, but I have this secret area. I'm not going to give it to you. That's not how it works. You see, God is either Lord of all or not Lord at all. If your life is a plot of land and you want to surrender it over to God, you can't say, well, those 10 square meters in the middle of the plot of land, I'm going to keep that. No, no, no. That's not a surrendered life. And we have to want to give every part of ourselves to God. And that phrase stands out for me. Offer every part of yourself. Please say that with me. Offer every part of yourself. That reminds me of a hymn that has been popular in church over hundreds of years. It's the hymn called, I Surrender All. All to Jesus, I surrender, I surrender all. Take note, it doesn't say, I surrender a little bit. (laughs) It says, I surrender all. Because when it comes to surrender, it's really all or nothing, I believe it. An illustration, William Booth. How many of you have heard of William Booth? He was the founder of the Salvation Army, wonderfully used by God. And so one day, William Booth was asked to reveal the secret of his success. And after some hesitation, tears came into his eyes and he said, I will tell you the secret. Listen to this. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I have, men with greater opportunities. But from the day that I got the poor of London on my heart and caught a vision for what Jesus could do with them, on that day, my mind was made up that God should have all of William Booth there was. That is powerful. We can learn through somebody like this who God used powerfully. And still, the Salvation Army is making a a real impact in the world today. Because one guy got a vision of being sold out to God. And what did he say? He said, God should have all of William Booth there was. Now, imagine you saying that about yourself. Imagine saying God should have all of, and then you put your name in there. That there is, Imagine that. God should have all of John Rabet that there is. God should have all of Judah Mahaswa that there is. God should have all of Trevor Brink that there is. God should have all of Bruce Taylor that there is. And I believe that people that experience God using them, they have come to a point where they do this. It was Florence Nightingale. She was 30 years of age. And she wrote and said, I'm tired of messing around. Now I'm getting serious with God. And her heroic and uh, amazing life that she lived in ministering to so many people later on, she also testified almost these same words that she gave everything of herself to God. Do you want to be used by God? I believe every single person desires that. And it's a surrendering aspect. Now, four points that I'd like to share with you. If you're making notes, jot this down. Number one, understanding this concept of surrender. Perhaps around surrender, all of us here today, we've got different ideas, different concepts. And through looking at some scriptures, I want to try to bring us into perhaps a biblical concept of surrender. Surrender. The word surrender in itself is actually a battle term or a military term, and it speaks of giving up all rights to the conqueror. Let me say that again. Giving up all rights to the conqueror. It also suggests some of the following, to submit to authority, to abandon yourself completely, and to hand over control. Let's say that you are part of an army, you're part of a military force, and here you go out to battle, and you come up against an opposition force, you are a stronger force, and as your army that you're part of, you manage to defeat this opposition force, and then they lay down their weapons. What is that? That is surrender. And then you, as the stronger army, you take over, you take control from that point in time. Now, living a surrendered life to God is perhaps in some ways similar to that. Listen carefully. God has a plan for your life. And he is wanting each of us to put aside our own plans, And he's wanting us to pursue his plan. And when you're putting aside your own plan, pursuing his plan, you are actually living a life of surrender where you're saying, God, okay, I believe that your ways are are higher than my ways and your thoughts and your wisdom is so incredibly great, I'm going to go with your plan, the plan from heaven. And in so doing, you are living a life of surrender. Let me ask you this question. What's more important to you, your own ideas about your life or God's ideas? Frederick Marsh, an author and theologian, he literally devoted his whole life to studying the Word of God, and it was him that coined this powerful phrase, the will of God, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. I can remember as a little chap hearing my dad speak that same statement from the pulpit. And even as a little kid, 11 years of age, I still thought to myself, wow, you know, that speaks to me. I I like that. I'm just a young guy. Let me tell you, your young children understand some of these things more than you give them credit for. Because deep within, their spirit is fully developed, even though their bodies aren't fully developed. And they are responsive to the drawing of God. And I believe that we should say the same thing, the will of God, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else in my life. That is just the way it is going to be. Now, if you are perhaps tempted to think that your plan is better for your life, well then let this verse speak to you. Proverbs 14 verse 12. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man. is that so true So many people are seeking a way they think it's right. It makes sense to them. According to humanistic philosophy and popular culture, it seems right, but the scripture goes on to say, but its end is the way of death. God's plans are better, sir. (laughs) Ma'am, God's plans are better. But on the other hand, if you are convinced that God's plan is the best, Then let this verse encourage you from Jeremiah 29. You know it. It says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. What a God we serve. Stop thinking that your plans are better. They are not. The God of all wisdom has a plan for your life, which is so much more superior in every possible way. And so we need to realize, thank you, God, those plans, I want to come into agreement with them. I want to come into surrender with those plans. Please tell the person next to you, God's plan is the best plan. Good. Now, let me just deviate here for a moment. Now, when we edit the programs afterwards for television, Sometimes this camera is focusing on one of you and then I say tell the person next to you and then some people go all right so if you want to be looking to be participating on television then you need to actually say to the person next to you all right so let's say that again to the person next to you God's plan is the best plan. Fantastic! These people, you're going to be famous, man. You're going to be. Give them a hand. They're going to be famous. Sometimes we have some interesting things and some gum chewing that we discover on camera later. Now, the reason, the reason that God wants, the reason that God conquers you. Now, let me say, He conquers you by the power of His love giving his life, making eternal life available to you. The reason that he conquers you is because he wants to bless you and he wants to direct you in the paths that are right. Psalm 23 verse three says, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, bless the Lord. Hmm. A quick couple of things that could hinder you from a life of surrender the pull of money, the desire for fame, the need for acceptance from others. You're so worried about what other people are thinking. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter what other people think. It matters what God thinks. Some of the things that can keep you from a life of surrender is seeking pleasure. There's nothing wrong with having wonderful, pleasurable experiences and going and touring the world and skiing in the Alps and and bungee jumping and so on. All those kinds of things. But some people, I've noticed, they begin to be obsessed with all they can think of is pleasure, 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 pleasure. That can take away from a life of surrender. Other things that can take away is self. When you are on the throne of your heart. The cares of this world can stop you from surrendering. And the desire for other things outside of God. Second Corinthians 6 verse 17 says, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate. Please say those two words. Be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Let me say this, folks. God is calling you. God is drawing you to be separated from unclean desires. And he's calling you to be consecrated. I love that word. There's that old song that says, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to you. And, and you are holy. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. I'm bought with a price. I do not belong to myself. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies, which are his. And so we have to realize that we honor the one to whom we are submitted. And so we glorify God in our bodies. And God calls us to grow in that desire of consecration so surrendering is all about choosing and rather choosing the will of the father the wonderful will of the father instead of your and my own selfish desires point number two Jesus example in sorry Jesus example of surrender in the garden of Gethsemane the garden of Gethsemane you've heard about it. There's that place in Jerusalem. Now, what do we know about the Garden of Gethsemane? Well, one of the things we know is that Jesus actually went there quite a number of times. He went there to pray with his disciples. Just interesting that sometimes maybe you and I, we find a place and we always just pray in a certain place. But it can also be lovely to get outside, get into a garden and and be in nature or take a walk around the block, and you're enjoying the trees and the birds, and you're talking and you're praying to God. And So, here Jesus is in the beautiful setting of a garden, he's busy praying. Gethsemane, that word Gethsemane literally means oil press. It's referring to the olive trees that are still there today, which were used to extract olive oil. Now, Pastor Philip, one of our shepherding pastors, He just got back a few days ago from a tour of the Holy Land, and he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and there are still some of those original trees. He guesstimated maybe eight or ten of these real old trees that were there when Jesus was praying there, and there's still an olive grove next door. Maybe that's something more recent. I don't know, but in terms of extracting the oil from the olive, I'll never forget a statement by Carol Arnott who was used mightily of God in the Toronto blessing, she said, when the oil is crushed, sorry, when the olive is crushed, the anointing is released. Isn't that something? And so Jesus was experiencing a deep crushing in that garden. Now, on a particular night, Jesus is praying in the garden of Gethsemane. And this is also the night on which he was betrayed. Judas came and gave him a kiss and betrayed him. But this night when he was praying was the very night before he would be crucified the next day. Can you imagine what must have been going on in Jesus' inner world? Can you imagine the agony, the torment? Because being God, he knew exactly what would unfold the next day. Being God, he knew that he would be brutally killed and crucified on the next day. And yet, he still surrendered. That should speak to us so loudly. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you surrendered. Now, look at the scripture Matthew 26, verse 36 to 46. Following your Bible, or if you don't have a Bible on the screen. It says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, Notice these words. Maybe you've never noticed. Jesus actually said words like this. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further and fell on his face. Notice the position of humility as he's praying to the father and prayed, saying, now this is it. Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. There's the wrestle. There's the wrestle to surrender and immediately the right decision. Nevertheless, Not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? On to the next slide, verse 41. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time. Now Jesus goes to pray a second time. He went away and prayed and said, Oh oh my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went to get away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. This is interesting. <laughs> and then he came to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold... The hour is at hand. And the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Now, I would submit to you that this is one of the most powerful stories in Scripture. Here, the Son, Jesus Christ, is having to submit to the will of the Father. And it's something which is just unthinkable but yet it was the plan of the father and jesus chose submission and maybe you might be here today and you're facing something of agony when you think of jesus wrestling in prayer maybe yours is not nearly as severe but you're facing something of agony right now in your situation and you're battling to make sense of it all and maybe i could just encourage you to pray this prayer lord let your will be done lord whatever your will is i know it's best let your will be done so three times jesus asked the father to remove the cup But nevertheless, each time he chose submission, he chose submission, he chose submission. And there'll be many times in your life where you might be before the Lord and you will have to come to the place and say, okay, God, like Jesus did, I choose submission as well. And let me say that these events that took place in Gethsemane, they have reverberated down right through history. They are still affecting the very planet today. And all because of what Jesus has done, we have access to the Father. People, can you realize this? Because he surrendered on that night, we have access to the Father. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. Because our Savior surrendered. You and I now have eternal life. So what can we learn from this? That we we can learn to surrender as Jesus did. Can I hear an amen? amen? Point number three. Surrendering is a process. Please say that out aloud with me. Surrendering is a process. Thanks to the pastors for helping me create this point as we were brainstorming this during the week. Now, don't put yourself under pressure to feel that you have to reach total and complete surrender from day one. This is indeed a process. It does take some time. The scripture in Philippians 1, verse 6 is on your screen, and it says, Being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Notice the work begun and notice the work complete. In other words, if there's a starting point and there's a completing point. The middle part is called the process, the process of surrender, the process of becoming more like Jesus. And I want to say to you that all you and I have to do, and this is liberating, listen, all you and I have to do is allow God to have his way. And in line with this, I love the story of the potter and the clay. And the clay is on the potter's wheel, and God the potter is busy shaping, and the clay does not have to shape itself. All the clay has to do is allow the potter to shape. So I want to say to you, don't be stubborn. Don't be hard. Don't be unwilling to change. Be yielding, and allow the Holy Spirit to pour the water of His Spirit over your life that makes you softer, more flexible, so that the Father can shape you. But it's wonderful to know that I don't have to try to become like Jesus. God takes responsibility for that. I have to allow Him, work with Him, and He fashions me into the image of His Son. Can you say amen? Amen. Now, perhaps one of the best examples of... uh, The process of surrender is Peter the disciple please say Peter now did Peter always get it right no sir he didn't always get it right and in fact he struggled to sometimes even start getting it right and in the process of learning to surrender Peter did a couple of crazy things let me give you a few of the examples of the things that Peter did so that you can feel like, sure, okay, he was human, I'm human, God used him, God can use me. So firstly, we do know that Peter was strong and impulsive, at times a little bit brash. But in terms of Peter, the one time Jesus wanted to wash the disciples' feet, Peter had a better idea. He said, firstly, not, no, 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 Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet, And later on, Jesus said, well, unless I wash your feet, you'll have no part of me. And Jesus said, well, uh, Peter said in that case, well, wash my whole body, Lord. (laughs) Now, does that sound like you're doing what the master says? Not not quite. Peter didn't always get it right. Another example is that Peter actually rebuked Jesus. Jesus was saying, I'm going to go suffer and die in Jerusalem. And Peter He didn't think that was going to happen, not according to his will. And so he rebuked Jesus. He said, that's not going to happen. My goodness. He didn't get it right. Peter also uh, strongly opposed Jesus when Jesus predicted the denial uh, that Peter would do three times denying Jesus. What happened? Peter said, that's never, ever going to happen. Another example of where Peter didn't really surrender Here, they wanted to arrest Jesus and take him into custody. Peter grabs out the sword. He chops off the ear of the high priest's servant. Now, that wasn't really part of the script. So, you don't have to be perfect to be used by God, but I believe that Peter was surrendering to the process. I really find this encouraging. That Jesus was patient with Peter. Jesus knew that Peter is not going to learn it all at once. And here's the wonderful thing, folks. Jesus is patient with you too. Ah. Tell the person next to you, he is patient with you too. And he will gently lead you in the process of surrendering. But later on in Peter's life, We begin to see some fruits and some indications that now Peter must have been learning to surrender more effectively. Because on the day of Pentecost, even though a little while before he had denied the Savior three times, on the day of Pentecost, who was it that stood up to preach to the multitude? It was Peter. And he got up and with great boldness preached and thousands were saved. The life of surrender had begun to happen. Peter also became one of the most prominent leaders in the early church. Peter did some amazing healings, the scripture tells us. He also preached boldly before the Sanhedrin. So much so that they were gobsmacked by his boldness. Because his life had begun to change. They could see that he had been with Jesus. And Peter even wrote some letters, epistles, that became scripture. And so I'd like to submit to you that even though Peter was struggling with the surrender process, he just faithfully allowed God, he allowed God, Jesus was patient with him and God brought about a greater surrendering in his life. And so what? You know what? There's good news for you and there's good news for me. Jesus is patient with us in the process. So through all Peter's ups and downs, Jesus loved Peter. He just loved him. And faithfully guided him. And the Lord will do the same for you. Can I hear an amen? Amen. The last point, which is a brief one. As we surrender to God's will, we enjoy deep satisfaction. Please say that aloud with me. As we surrender to God's will, we enjoy deep satisfaction. Think about yourself. In your life, at this point in time, do you have satisfaction. Now, when you, I'm talking about satisfaction, it doesn't mean that everything is just going, oh, you know, so wonderful, row, row, row the boat, gently down the stream. There can be difficulties and tough times, but inside, you know that you are satisfied. How are you doing in terms of satisfaction? Because if there is very little satisfaction, could I humbly submit to you that maybe there needs to be more surrender, Because then, after that, will come greater satisfaction. Now, we all know the story of Jesus ministering to the woman at the well. You all know that story. And so here, Jesus is ministering to her. And through his love, and also through his power, he was operating in words of knowledge and the power of the Spirit, her life was changed. It is a wonderful story. But listen to this. Besides for the wonderful change in her life, There's something else in the story that also stands out to me, and it is this, the deep satisfaction that our Savior experienced through doing the will of the Father. As he was ministering to this lady, he was only doing what he saw the Father do, and it was so deeply fulfilling. And that is so wonderful, because the disciples, they had gone to buy food in a nearby city, and they brought the back, back the food to Jesus so that they could all enjoy it together. But as they were eating, they noticed that Jesus wasn't eating. And they thought, well, this is a little strange. Jesus seemed to be a little bit, his mind was elsewhere. And they, they kind of nudged him and said, Jesus, eat. And then he said, he said I have food to eat that you know nothing of. He was talking about some kind of a spiritual food. Let's pick up this last verse, uh, John four, verse thirty-two and 30, uh, thirty-two and thirty-four. But he, that's Jesus, said to them, "I have food to eat, of which you do not know." Maybe the disciples are, well, as he goes, little satchel, the secret stash, or something like that. Yeah. In verse 34, he clarifies, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Can you see that Jesus was saying that this nourishes on the inside when you do the will of the Father? That's why as we surrender to God's will, we enjoy deep satisfaction. There's nothing like doing what God has called you to do. It's so deeply fulfilling. And so to me, it's wonderful that here Jesus says that there's food that is far greater. It's food that satisfies the soul. You know, food is something that makes us feel nourished, isn't it? You have a good meal and you feel nourished. You feel satisfied. You have a great meal. You even feel happy. All right. How many of you uh, really enjoy food? (laughs) Okay. Everybody enjoys food. Now, do you have a favorite meal? A favorite meal. Now, let me tell you my favorite meal. And would you like to hear what my favorite meal is? Okay, I'll tell you it as long as you don't let your taste buds go chick, 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 chick. All right. My favorite meal, well, one of them, I've got a couple, but one of them is roast leg of lamb. Can you smell it in the oven? All right. Roast leg of lamb, roast potatoes. And also some gravy and so on. And we've got to throw a couple of veggies in there, I guess, and so on. By the way, is there anybody that wants to invite us to their house for a roast leg of lamb today? Fantastic. <laughs> now, when you've had a meal like this, you feel happy, don't you? You feel satisfied. And in the same way, listen to this doing God's will. Satisfies the soul. I want to end off reminding you about William Booth. They said to him, What is the secret of your success? How is it that you've had such an impact? And he said, As tears came into his eyes, he said, I will tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains, there have been men with greater opportunities. But from the day that I got the poor of London on my heart and a vision of what God could do through them, on that day, I made up my mind that God should have all of William Booth there was. And I want to end off with those words that God should have all of you and me that there is for the glorious, and I mean it, the glorious life of surrender. Would you stand, please? Folks, I really want to encourage you. We're going to pray now. But please don't just be a hearer of the word. Be a doer. Father, I believe that the seed of your word that has been sown today has fallen on fertile soil that will produce a great harvest for your kingdom. Who knows, Lord, there might be some William Booths that are raised up today. There might be some many mighty women, mighty men of God, that something has clicked in their spirit today, and they've realized for the first time that Christ must have all of me. And so we say, here we are, Lord, with arms open wide before you, saying, take our lives. And let them be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And I thank you, Lord, that there is nothing as fulfilling as the Christ life, as the surrendered life. Use us, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise. Why don't you just say hallelujah? Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you.